Welcome to 1869, the Cornell University Press podcast. Before we get to our author interview today, I thought you might like to know about our Not Your Average Beach Books sale that just started. Use code 09June when you visit cornellpress.cornell.edu to save 50% on your order. Hurry though, as the sale ends June 30th. Again, that's code 09June, J-U-N-E, and the website is cornellpress.cornell.edu. Today we're joined by Alan Bernstein. Alan is Emeritus Professor of Medieval History at the University of Arizona. He is also the author of the new book, Hell and Its Rivals, Death and Retribution Among Christians, Jews and Muslims in the Early Middle Ages. Well, welcome, Alan. Well, hello. Thank you, Martin. Thanks for joining us. So I'm, I'm fascinated by, uh, by the, uh, the topic and subject of your book, Hell and Its Rivals. And like, you know, I have, when I'm reading it, I, I have this vision of, uh, and I know this has nothing to do with the book, but I have this vision of this uh, kind of hardcore rock band, Hell and Its Rivals. Um, <laughs> yeah. And so it's a, a wonderful title. I congratulate you on that. But I would love to know, like, what were the rivals? Well, there were all kinds of uh, doubts that people had and uh, attacks against the idea of hell. Uh, there was the idea that hell could end. Uh, there's the idea that was uh, propounded by Origen that uh, if God was punishing people, his punishments would be effective because he would do nothing without uh, a positive result. And if he was punishing, eventually, the chastisement would make a person castos or pure, and that would end punishment because there'd no longer be grounds for punishing. So that, that's and, fascinating. Uh, Go on. <laughs> yeah, that's really great. And the other possibility is that the prayers of pious people could benefit the people in hell, and that God would certainly listen to those uh, prayers. And that would alleviate the pain of the people so that uh, eventually they would be released. So there's uh, the possibility of hell's end, the possibility of hell's of relief. Well, this, the third one is relief from hell or within hell where the saints in heaven, particularly St. Paul, there's a famous vision of Paul who experiences so much compassion for those in hell that he beseeches Christ to give them relief. And he says, very well, because you're my friend, Paul, uh, I will do that for you. And he gives them a relief from the punishment of hell, either every Easter or every Sunday. And then there's a debate about which is most appropriate, but there's periodic relief in hell. Hmm. There subsequent uh, legendary elaborations of that idea so that the, the weekly relief gets extended to a whole weekend off. Hmm. So this idea of, of hell coming to an end, and I'm, I'm certainly not 
an expert, so I'm, I'm, I may have this very wrong, but I feel as though that's not a contemporary uh, vision of hell. So when did that begin to change from, from you know, sort of the early Middle Ages onwards when, when these ideas were in play? Well, these are all competing currents from very early on, and each group has their biblical proof texts that they cite for the effectiveness of divine mercy. And so that it, they don't line up chronologically where you can say that this ended and this began. Mm. They're, they're competing currents, which is why I call them rivals. Okay, okay. So I, I can't, that, that question doesn't have an answer. <laughs> that's, that's, in a, that's an answer in itself. Um, okay, so what else do we need to know about this period, this early Middle Age period, uh, and uh, beliefs about hell, because obviously they're not uh, monolithic and they vary across region and territory and, and all those kind of things. So what are the kind of big picture points that we need to know about? Well, I think that the idea of hell was fundamental to Judaism, Christianity, and Islam. I think most people would be amazed to know that, and that's one of the main themes of the book and one of the most important conclusions, that uh, Jews today think that Judaism has no belief in hell. But in this period in the early Middle Ages, which is called the rabbinic period of Judaism, it was a belief that was so fundamental that denial of it was itself damning. And that was true in Islam as well, and it's true in Christianity. But of course, when you use any of these terms, Islam, Judaism, Christianity, there are all have subcurrents within them and debates uh, within them, so that the things I mentioned as hell's rivals, uh, end of hell, relief within hell, escape from hell, they all had to be answered in all three religions, and all three religions, in the end, affirmed eternal punishment as their consensus position. Hmm. And explaining that through the chapters of the book was one of the most fascinating things that, in my mind, that I did. And it was one of the most fun things to work out, that the rival religions, which in the end damned each other, agreed on nothing so firmly as the belief in hell. <laughs> you got to have something to, to find commonality in, right? Yeah, that's right. <laughs> So, so since they surround the Mediterranean in the way that they did it, it becomes a Mediterranean communitarian belief that's, that's quite remarkable. So Mediterranean studies have gained a lot of traction in the past, I guess, two decades, and this is an aspect that hadn't been pointed out before. So is this, um, is this sort of common vision of hell, even with its three main rivals, is it, um, is it found outside of the Mediterranean region at the time? I mean, is, are there equivalents or, uh, you know, similar belief systems elsewhere that you're aware of? Yes, they go all the way to, uh, all the way through Eurasia and to Buddhism. Uh, Buddhism would Buddhism doesn't have a completely eternal hell, but a sequence of hells, of uh, afterlives that anyone would recognize as being hellish, 
hell-like, and uh, forests of sword blades and rivers of blood and pus and so on that are very lengthy afterlives for people with uh, evil deeds to work off. So it could be called purgatorial, but uh, one never knows, and it's a dreaded sanction, and um, it's very bad karma indeed. Hmm. There's Zoroastrianism, uh, from which eternal punishment was probably imported into Christianity and Judaism. Huh. Is there a, are you aware of, um, well, what's the least bad hell uh, that you're aware of in your mind? The least bad hell would simply be a guilty conscience mm. forever. Or uh, isolation uh, in oblivion with no other punishment except knowing that no one knows or cares about your fate. Is that something? Um, is that something that kind of began to appear during the time of your, that your book focuses on, or is that an idea that's more modern or even more ancient? Do you do you have a sense of that at all? Uh, it's hard to to put a date on that. I think that it's it's quite ancient, although maybe not said in the words that I use. Sure. Yeah. So you're you're a professor of medieval history. How did you get into the study of of hell, if you like, and and, and this aspect of of religion? Well, precisely because I was not brought up to believe in hell, uh, I was very impressed with how widespread the belief is. It seems a very horrifying idea, and I wonder why so many human beings seem to accept it. And I started exploring it that way even before I became a medieval historian. Uh, that idea occurred to me as an undergraduate. And uh, as my studies of the Middle Ages progressed, I became interested in the differences between what theologians taught and what preachers preached. And I wanted to see if there were differences in levels of discourse. The most abstract um, binding statements by, say, popes or general councils, uh, on the one hand, versus what the the, the friars or the, were saying in the town square or the priests in the in the parish church. And I wanted to explore how they connected the abstractions to the day-to-day -day realities of people who were maybe cheating in the market or cheating on their spouses or uh, indulging in anger or lust or greed. And uh, how did they connect? Uh, because they might not have used those terms. Those terms had to be communicated. What I found in this book, and there's a chapter devoted to this, is that slavery seems to be the social reality that binds the theological uh, exposition of eternity and torture and discipline uh, to the marketplace and the parish where the priest is trying to explain to his everyday audience uh, what hell might be like. The idea of a slave who is bound forever 
withdrew the descent from the mother because slavery was inherited from the mother, uh, that is unending punishment. And it includes disciplines like darkness in a, in a prison, chains, um, dismemberment. These are all punishments that are associated with hell in the New Testament. Hmm. Well, um, it sounds as though your interest was piqued uh, early on in your, uh, your studies and your academic life, but uh, I think we're all glad that, that it was uh, piqued in that way because we now get to uh, explore books such as Hell and Its Rivals. So, um, Alan, thank you. appreciate you joining us this afternoon. Well, thank you, Martin. It's a pleasure to talk about my work with you. That was Alan Bernstein, author of Hell and Its Rivals. For more information on this book and all those published by Cornell University Press, visit cornellpress.cornell.edu. For articles, musings, and other book-related things, try the Sage House blog at sagehouse.blog. You've been listening to 1869, the Cornell University Press podcast.